Hello, welcome to Spectacular Slovakia, the podcast in which we discover our Slovakia from different sides. I'm Peter Dlhopolec and I'll be joined by James Thompson today. Together we'll go back in time to 1944. It was a time when the Slovak national uprising broke out. It's been described in, in one of the better articles about this as a Uh, the uprising was a, as a democratic political coup d'etat. That's to say, people were launching a coup d'etat in order to bring democracy and, and a kind of open system of government back to Slovakia. There's no more competent person for this week's episode other than James. He loves history and you'll hear it in a bit. You'll also learn why the Slovak national uprising should matter to Slovaks, who abused its meaning to their own use in the past and where to head out to discover more about the insurrection. So if you're ready, here's the show. Hello, James. Welcome back. Hello, Peter. Well, today we're not going to be talking about trains, but about sort of more serious thing. We will talk about the Slovak National Uprising because the 29th of August, that's the day when we celebrate in Slovakia this action. Yeah, nationally um, significant event. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we get a holiday as well. True. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the reason why many Slovaks know about the Slovak National Uprising, I would say. But there was a recent survey among young people and what they know about the Slovak National Uprising. And, well, obviously most of them, they consider it a very important thing. But then, on the other hand, there were like young people saying they do not have any opinion about that. 40, Or they, 40%. 40%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also a sort of worrying thing. So I know that this podcast is in English, but yeah, we're going to enlighten and, some foreigners as well. We'll, and, we'll try and unpack some of these issues. Yes, yeah. Yes. And you start. You teach. Uh, I teach. History, I, I right? studied history, although I didn't. I didn't study this when I was when I was at university. <laughs> but I've 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 looked at it a bit since. But you know a lot about this, like national uprising. I would say. Yeah. Even well, more I than know. I do. <laughs> really? Oh, right. Okay. Well, well you, you, you 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 would have studied at school. I mean, within you know recent memory, I guess. So. Well. So I, I think people would be interested to know maybe like how much you learn from that. Uh, uh, really? Well, I can't say that I know much about this, like national uprising. Right. And that's. That's related to school, you know. It, We do not study it at but school. It's, para- it's paradoxical, isn't it? Because the, the Slovak national uprising is kind of ubiquitous in Slovakia. That's yeah. to say, bridges, squares, institutions are named after it. It's it's it, it's promoted as a, as a significant event, and it was a significant event. And yet, popular understanding of what it actually involved, what happened, what prompted it, what the results were, are uh, quite confused. And that's not to blame average Slovaks. I think that's because uh, some of the information out there is is quite confused and general understanding is quite quite low about it. And I don't pretend to be an expert, but I'm I'm interested in it both from the point of view of uh the history of it and also of the of the, the present day significance, the kind of what it was now called the memory politics of, of uh uh of for of for Slovakia and of the Slovak national uprising, what it, what the significance of it is. And there's been a struggle over that since it happened. So mm-hmm. it's 75 years this year since it since yeah. it occurred in 1944 and um it, it's it's been it's been used and abused by by regimes most notably the the, the communist regime uh, from 48 to, to 89 um in, in terms of if its significance and and and, and what actually occurred and, and and who was who was responsible for for different actions in it. So uh, we can talk about that a little bit if you like. Yeah. It's a shame that we did not know much about it, right? As a young person, yeah. you know, I should know a lot about it. You know, we've got 
national holiday. We've got, yeah, as you said, a lot yeah. of places named yeah. after that. And we know that there was a slug national uprising, but we do not know what it was. Well, I mean, I think you, I think you have some sort of rudimentary idea of like yeah, what it was. Yeah, but um, you are so, expected to know more, right? Well, and you are expected uh, to learn it. At school. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. it would have been nice if you'd been paying attention to that but class. Instead we, yeah, well, instead but, we study, you know, I don't know, the history of other countries or the Middle Ages yeah, yeah. and not about our recent history. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, a, a sort of troubled issue. I mean, that's to say it, it's, it's still a matter of life political debate, yeah, recent yeah. history, which is why I think um, to some degree the curriculum sort of steer a bit clear of, of, of this. But... Um, but it's also partly a product of of the event itself. I mean, it is quite a confused. It was quite a confused event, mm. and um, and and again, that's not to okay blame to anybody. I'm not. I'm not here to sort of judge any of the aspects. But um, insurgencies are by their nature quite confused, and um, and because there were so many uh, sort of uh, rival allegiances involved in this event and so many different actors in the event, um, it's not surprising that a lot of the people who receive a kind of cursory introduction to it at school and not much else are left a little bit confused about exactly what happened. Um, that's to say, so just to, to give the sort of the, the basics, Slovakia was uh, a German allied uh, state in 1944 when mm-hmm. this occurred. The, the course of the war turned that the Soviet army was moving uh, west fairly rapidly, mainly towards Poland and into Hungary, but, um, but obviously Slovakia is between the two. Um, so there was a, a German allied government. Uh, there was a, an army within Slovakia, which was n- an independent state, although not recognized by mm-hmm. many people outside the, the Axis countries. But there was a lot of pro-Soviet sentiment, not just within what would have become the insurgent forces, that's to say within the Slovak army or parts of it, but also within the, the Slovak government itself. There was also a whole range of motivations on, on, the half, on behalf of the Soviets, the Germans, the government, the Czechoslovak government in exile, the Slovak in, in insurgents who were, who were based in Slovakia. So there's a lot of people involved in this and a lot of argument going on about who should be running it, who should be deciding it, what the plan should be and what should happen. And as with all, you know, military adventures, um, plans don't really survive, as, as they say, first contact with the enemy. So um, the insurgency was launched slightly prematurely, partly prompted by the German occupation of Slovakia at the end of August 1944, yeah. which itself was prompted by Soviet-led partisan activity in Central a- uh, Central U- Central Slovakia, um, which the insurgents had actually, and the government in exile actually asked the Soviets to suspend because they, they feared that it would provoke this German intervention. It did. And as part of that, the Slovak army in eastern Slovakia, the plan for which was to, to turn over to the insurgent side, um, basically take control of eastern Slovakia, open the Carpathian passes to the advancing Soviet army and, and, and aid in the liberation of Slovakia. That plan was derailed. The Germans managed to disarm the, the, the Slovak army in eastern Slovakia and they had to revert to sort of plan B, which was to uh, hold territory in central Slovakia around Banska Bistrica, which, so which is what happened. Yeah, so basically the Slovak national uprising that was going on just in central Slovakia, not in the west or east. That's right. Well, I mean, the the insurgents um, hoped to occupy as much of Slovakia as possible, but western Slovakia was held uh, by the the, the Slovak government, the one led by Josef Tiso, with the assistance of the German army. The German army at the end of August 1944, sort of the second half of August 1944, had 
very quickly occupied eastern Slovakia, northern Slovakia, and uh, and, and western Slovakia around Bratislava. Yeah. But the insurgents ended up launching their rising, basing it in, in Banská Street, so in quite a large area of, of, of uh, central Slovakia. You would expect that the uprising would last a long time, like a few months, but it was not this case. It was just, well... Two months. It was sixty days, just under two months. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and and also, I mean, used to say you, you might expect it to last longer, but not necessarily. I mean, they were up against the bits of the Slavic army that hadn't um, uh, gone over to the insurgency, um, but they weren't uh, considered a very reliable fighting force. But they were more importantly, they were up against um, battle-hardened German um, armored units, and and, uh, and and they they were extremely effective fighting forces. And so uh, insurgents who hadn't got a great deal of, of military fighting experience and, and also a huge number of civilians in, in central Slovakia who were, who were assisting um, a lot of them with, with the uprising, they were up against um, uh, an increasing number of German uh, forces who, once the, the Battle for Budapest had settled down or the Battle for Hungary had settled down, were eight, the, the, the Germans were able to divert from Hungary in October and who basically then um, uh, ended the occupation of or the, the insurgent occupation of central Slovakia that ended in a course of about 10 days once <laughs> armored forces from from the Germans in Hungary came came north um, and, and that's not to discredit the insurgents I mean the, these uh, the, the German army had been fighting in Soviet Union and in Eastern Europe for, for three years and and they were for all of the terrible things that happened in Europe, they were extremely effective fighting force so it, it wasn't it was it would have been a big very big job to stop them and how well this uprising was organized Or was it disorganized? I mean, the, the the results show that not very well. Yeah. I mean, but that's again, that, that, that's especially a, in the beginning. That's so the, that's not... in the nature of insurgencies. I mean, mm. it's very difficult to plan. These guys are planning in secret. I mean, they're also notionally the, the Slovak army uh, people are notionally on this, you know, reporting to the Slovak government. So, mm. so what they're committing is is treason, uh, technically. So, um, so they have to be careful about what they're doing. That said, the. The, the the government and the Germans who had a very effective intelligence network n knew that they 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 weren't entirely reliable, but they didn't know exactly who. And even when the insurgency uh, was launched, you had this very confused um, situation where the head of the Eastern Slovak Army had been told to fly to Bratislava. He gave an address which was expected to, to launch the insurgency, but it ended up being kind of very ambiguous and people weren't quite sure whether he was for or against it. The defense minister at the time, a guy called Chatlosh, issued an address saying, um, you know, it's the, it's the responsibility of Slovaks and the Slovak army to, to fight with the government and against the, the, the rebellion. Yeah. Um, and then he disappeared the next day um, to the Soviets. And he did, he'd previously been in secret negotiations himself with the Soviet with the Soviet forces. So all of these actors, with the, with the exception of this kind of extremist group around Tiso who are running the government, um, have all got quite kind of they, they've got the finger in in all pies in order to see what, what happens before before they jump one way or another. Which is not to undermine the, the heroism of the people who actually did <laughs> did launch the insurgency, did launch yeah. the uprising. They were they were um, extremely brave. And who were the most important people and figures during the uprising? Most people, I think, in that survey, if they were able to identify people in in the uprising, identified Tiso, who was the fascist wartime leader yeah. of Slovakia. Um, uh, General Lieutenant General Golian, who was mm -hmm. the who was the insurgent leader on the ground at the beginning of the um, uprising. Another guy called General Viest, who mm -hmm. was flown in during the uprising. He was a more senior officer. He was with the government in exile in, in London, in London yeah. and he was flown in uh, to, to lead the, the but uprising. He, but he came at the end? Relatively late, I think, in October. Yeah. yeah. And, and then 
he basically ended the uprising, right? No, he didn't end it, but he was there when it ended, when the Germans oh. basically overran Banskopi Streets. Okay. I mean, the, 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 the uprising ended when Vies decided to withdraw from Banskopi Streets. So, so Banskopi Streets was taken, was the, was the kind of head, the, the, the capital of the uprising, was yeah. taken by the Germans, but but unopposed. They they just moved in at, right at the end. And Vies gave an order to, to switch to partisan operations. That's to say people would go into the hills and, and fight mm -hmm. the Germans in small units. But that order didn't didn't get properly distributed. So a lot of people were left, as they were at the beginning of the of the, of the uh, uprising, uh, sort of confused about what was going on. And this is something that you need to stress about these kind of events is that confusion reigns to a large degree because we all assume that, you know, that, that we, we, we get information immediately. But this is the, this is, this is the period of, of pre-TV, but with some radio communications. And they had radio transmitters. They were in touch with uh, London, uh, the, the government in exile in London and, and, and with the Soviet forces. But it wasn't as though um, there was immediate communication and that communication on the ground wasn't necessarily very easy. So there were vehicles and, and there was actually a great deal of uh, media activity during the uh, during the uprising. They had a printing press in Harmonet. Yeah. So people were publishing periodicals of a lot of political debate. There was a, uh, a lot of um, discussion about whether the Slovak National Council um, on the ground should have um, uh, kind of uh, authority over the uprising, whether they should be receiving instructions from London, and that went on throughout the uprising. But um, but you have to remember when there's there's kind of hit and run fighting, and the, the Germans are basically surrounding the whole the uprising area. There's a lot of confusion on the ground about um, what's going on, who's in control of which town, and what place from from day to day. And in terms of you know the military equipment. Yeah. Was it a good choice to start the uprising, knowing that the Germans, there were much more of them, their equipment was much better, and compared with the Slovaks? Well, you, know? you, you, you work with what you got, basically. So the, the original plan, as I say, was to use these two Slovak army divisions in eastern Slovakia, which were quite heavily armed and actually mm. had a small air force as well, that they were going to be the kind of vanguard of the uprising. But because of a whole series of events, which some of which st still remain confused, which, which I mean, the fact that it's still confused after 75 years, it means that there's a you know, good reason why people in general are quite confused about the events, that, that failed. And... Um, the divisions in the east were well. The the leader of that, the the commander of those forces, um, flew with the entire air force to Soviet-controlled Poland at the beginning of the uprising, um, for reasons which are still not entirely clear. But basically, left these two divisions, about twenty-five thousand men, effectively without orders, and the Germans moved in and disarmed them very quickly in the space of a couple of days, a day or so, and and so that was that was the main uh, the main war material, the main fighting force that would have would have constituted the uprising. Um, there were still several tens of thousands of men in, in, in central Slovakia who were mobilized under Go Golian, mm -hmm. but, but the main kind of armored fighting force was in eastern Slovakia. So, so was, it, was it wise to do that? I mean, of course, given a choice, they'd like to have had better equipment, more men and, and women who were, who, were, who were fighting and helping as well. But, um, but they didn't. And this was the, this was the, these were the tools they were left with. There was a, like an exile government Yes. Uh, in London. This was the government under Benesh, under uh, President Czechoslovak President Benesh in exile. And so they supported the uprising politically, right? They yeah. did. I mean, of course, they were they were in favor of of uh, uh, independent Czechoslovak mm -hmm. government in Czechoslovakia. What their attitude exactly was to Slovak autonomy or self-government, which which was what the uprising kind of represented. It, it was almost like a, I mean, I don't want to go off, off piece here because I'm not quite sure about the exact politics of it, but obviously they were against Tiso's government, which was 
Not only yeah, everyone was. Well, Tiso wasn't. There were quite a lot. It was quite, <laughs> it was quite popular in, in in parts of Slovakia, and and even now, it you know there there are people who will speak in favour of mm-hmm. it, um, uh, without yeah. justification for for my money. But but um, but there are. You'll find these people. But um, but the Slovak uprising itself was also a kind of expression of Slovak nationhood, which is something that the Czechoslovak government were prepared to countenance only up to a certain degree. And so this is what a lot of the discussions during the uprising, political discussions, were about about whether the Slovaks. Or the Slovak National Council on their own had the authority to run this territory or whether they should report to uh, the Czechoslovak government. But but no, they were on the same side, effectively. I mean, obviously, they wanted... and they, It's been described in, in one of the better articles about this as a... Uh, the uprising was a, as a democratic political coup d'etat. That's to say people were launching a coup d'etat in order to bring democracy and, and a kind of open system of government back to Slovakia. And even though that failed because the uprising was put down in less than two months... It's, it was it was a very important marker, and in fact, it, it helped Slovakia to argue after the war that it was a um, uh, a victor nation. That's to say, it was on it was on the right side in the war, um, uh, because even though it had a, a pro-German government yeah. for most of the war, the, the Slovak people had expressed their sentiment, a, a kind of anti-German sentiment, through the uprising. And um, uh, and at the same time, obviously, the, the the Czech part of Czechoslovakia had been occupied by the Germans in the in this protectorate they called it. Um, so so Czechoslovakia was seen as a as a, as a uh, uh, unoccupied and, and 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 a nation which had been victimized by the German, not as a collaborating nation. You know, the uprising that's a sort of an expensive thing to do, right? Because you need the equipment, and you need medicine, you need food. Yeah. Um, Well, you need you need people. I mean, that's the and main expense. People. I mean, yeah, the, the, the terrible expense in, in terms in of human life, money. Yeah. Uh, from where the insurgents got the money? Well, there's an interesting story about this because, as I say, there were there were, there were kind of um, uh, confused, not confused loyalties, but there were there were hidden loyalties among among both the government in Bratislava mm-hmm. and and the rest of the state apparatus in Slovakia. Okay. And. Um, One of the key financial um, uh, officials in the Tiso government, kind of by a kind of subterfuge, managed to transfer three billion Slovak crowns to the central to the to the bank wow. central bank in Banska Bystrica mm-hmm. before the uprising. So in fact, finances weren't such an issue. I mean, the, the uprising didn't last very long, so they, they they didn't have so much time to burn through the money as well. But they had they had operating funds, so that was I think less of an issue during the uprising because of some very brave and, and kind of smart planning beforehand. Um, obviously, a different kind of uh, regime operates during an uprising. That's to say, it's not like, you know, the, the government is, is, is sort of having to budget and account for everything in a conventional way. It's all, all hands to the wheel um, in order to, to make sure that it's uh, successful. Uh, but I don't think that finances per se were necessarily an issue. And how many people got really involved in the uprising? Do we know? Well, um, when when it when because we know that it was just in central Slovakia. Well, it, to be, to begin with, right at the beginning, it was over half the area of the Slovak state at that time. But we have to remember that a lot of what is now Slovakia was occupied by Hungary. So, Kosice, mm-hmm. say a lot of southern Slovakia was was in Hungary. So, this wasn't sort of involved in in, in this operation. But um, about more than a million and a half people were in territory that was controlled by the uprising to begin with. Mm-hmm. Now, as that came under pressure from the Germans, that 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 area shrank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still hundreds of thousands of people and. Um, there were there were um, tens of thousands of, of soldiers, and they were joined by um, uh, volunteers and insurgents and other people who were aid- aiding the the, the 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 uprising in various ways. Um, But then the uprising, so it started as sort of a military action, you know. Yeah. You, so you had soldiers. 
Yeah, I mean, of, if you're going to launch an uprising, you need people who know how to, you know, use guns, basically. Um, but very quickly, very quickly, you co-op people, people to, 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 to help with supplies, transportation, mm -hmm. logistics, um, communications, all sorts of other things. And, and, and we, see, we see after the uprising, um, I mean, unfortunately, this was typical for, for, for actions on the Eastern Front. And, and, and Slovakia, in that sense, got off relatively lightly compared to, say, the horrendous things that were going on in Poland and had happened in Ukraine and Belarus. But, um, but there, were, there, were, there were reprisals by the Germans and by the, the Slovak government in the form of the Linka Guard and the kind of militias that they, they sponsored. And, um, I mean, appalling massacres took place in central Slovakia um, after the uprising was put down. Um, there were about uh, 750 bodies, I think, up unearthed in Kremnička, which is now a suburb of, of, of Banska Vistrica uh -huh. after, the, after the war. Um, and that, those ma that massacre occurred sometime in, in sort of winter of 1944. And, and another village in, in the uh, Hron Valley, I think, called Nemetska. Um, Nemetska. Mm -hmm. There were... There were um, up to I think 900 there's an estimate because they, they used a kiln to, to destroy the bodies so there were, there were horrendous things going on and, and these, these were mostly civilians and, and to a large degree um, the Jewish population of central Slovakia who had who had survived to that time who were being targeted deliberately by the Germans and by the fascist government at this, in the sort of final stage of the war after the uprising because of their nominal support for, for the uprising I mean you can hardly blame them I mean they, they knew that the writing was on the wall if the, if the Germans and the, and the fascists won so um, but but the, the the reprisals were horrible, and you know one of the worst things Germans did in Slovakia, there was setting villages on fire. The survey uh, found that young people did not know any of those villages, and mm -hmm. there were quite a few. I think yeah. nearly one hundred. I think more than a hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even yeah. so, yeah. you know, can we mention just some? Do you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to mention. Um, that if if uh, you're interested in, in in this part of Slavic history, and I think if for, for expats like me who who are here for longer, I think it's 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 worth finding out about it just mm -hmm. to just to know sort of roughly what's what happened and, and the significance of it. There's a very good museum dedicated to the Slavic national uprising in Banska Bystrica, um, which is is notable for. Um, its commitment to historical research. That's to say, it's, it, it hasn't been, uh, to, to the best of my knowledge, it hasn't been politicized and it, and it, and it presents a, a kind of a, a sort of unvarnished picture of what happened during the uprising. And they have, they have English language guides as well, yeah. so it's possible to get an English language uh, tour of, of the museum. But they also run a memorial site in a village called Kalisje, which is um, about 3,000 feet up in the hills uh, east of Panska Bistrica, mm -hmm. which is one of the villages that was destroyed uh, in reprisals by the Germans and by the, 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 the um, Slovak government militias after the uprising. And never restored. And, and this one was, yeah, one, this yeah. one was never never restored. So a lot of the villages that were destroyed were later rebuilt by the by the yeah. remaining residents, obviously. But this one was a, a, a very small village up in the mountains, which was a kind of woodcutter's community. And mm. um, was, was, a, was a, it's only about a couple of kilometers from Donna Valley, people might know that, that ski resort, mm. but, but over the hill. So you can't, you can walk there, but it's, it's not, there's no direct road. So you have to go up via, via the, um, uh, another route. But it, it's a remote place up in the hills and it was completely destroyed. Everyone was, was in the village, more or less, in the village was killed by, by a German unit only a few days before the whole region was liberated by the advancing Soviet army. So it was a really kind of vicious kind of um, retributive action. 
and they've they've maintained this village in the state that it was left in 1945 when it was destroyed, and and it's really uh, it's a really powerful place. It's a really kind of moving memorial to the sacrifice that the, the villagers made. Some of them by direct participation in the uprising, but but mainly just by offering kind of shelter or, or help to people who were living in the in the in the hills, um, either conducting partisan operations or just hiding uh, from from the from the Germans from the, their own government effectively. Yeah, but the museum in Banska Bystrica, so that's the. That's the that's the main, main kind of memorial kind of site. And you've been there, so mm. can we just say what specifically what people can find there? Because I think it's the, one of the best museums in the country. It's yeah. really big. Even the the architecture of the building. Yeah, the architecture itself. You is, never know is, what it is. The, the the architecture is very sort of um, uh, I don't know socialist. I think is probably the word, but it's a uh, um, but but it's interesting that even at that museum. There were, there was, uh, even from the beginning, there was a commitment to, as I say, kind of dispassionate historical research from what mm. I can gather. And there's even a very interesting story, which I won't go into now, but associated with the statue or the, or the, the statue kind of group that, that stands in the, it's a kind of a, a, a building that's kind of split in half. And, mm. and in the middle, there's, a, there's an open air area with a, with a, with a, um, a statue group. And um, the, the story of that statue and how it was commissioned and then the um the architect was kind of basically uh, uh ejected from from the party uh, from the, i think from the party but i don't remember the exact details i don't want to, to mistake the, the thing but the, the the statue was never erected it was put in storage for years it was only after the revolution that it was then placed where it should have been because i think it was telling a kind of either a too depressing tale or it wasn't politically correct from the communist point of view so I mean, if you're really interested, you you can ask the, the the guides at the museum, and they will tell you about about even this story, which reveals a lot about the way that the memory of the of the uprising was misused under the under the socialist and the communist regime, because the communists cast this uprising as a communist uh, event initiative, and as I say, there were communists involved, and in fact, in the museum you'll see um, uh, possessions of Gustav Husak, who was the last. Uh, Czechoslovak communist president. He was he was involved in the uprising in Central Slovakia, but it wasn't solely a, a, a communist uprising. It, there were communist elements in it. There, there were there were also there were Democrats. There were Czechoslovaks uh, f- forces. There were um, and and there were also interestingly um, various prisoners of war who'd ended up in Slovakia by one means or other, who. Then when they were liberated by the uprising, then joined the uprising. So there are Americans. Britons, New Zealanders, mm. even um, uh, who by one means or another had ended up in Slovakia in 1944. There were obviously there were uh, uh, lots of uh, many Jews. There were Roma and 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 uh, even uh, Uzbeks. I think there's a war commemora- wow. commemorating all of these nationalities who took place in uh, took part in the took part in the uprising. So can we just you know surely because we know why the uprising started, but can we just underline or sum up? How it ended, once more. Okay, so at the end of October, um, as I understand it, um, the Germans were able to free up some of the troops. That they 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 had by then occupied Hungary. They were able to free up some of the troops that they had in Hungary, mm-hmm. and they basically advanced on Banská Bystrica through uh, Central Slovak Mountains, and that was a that was a, a sort of crack fighting division. So the the uprising didn't have the the arms or the certainly material to 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 put up much of a fight against uh, a German armoured division. So they gave the order on October the 27th to withdraw from, uh, or maybe in the day before, to withdraw from Panska Bistritza, which was the centre of operations, and to switch to partisan operations. So that was effectively the end of the, the, the Soviet national uprising. 
the partisan operations went on for several weeks or months after mm -hmm. that. But the Germans gradually hunted down the, the leaders of the uprising. So Golian and Viest were captured and, and later executed. Um, after and being so captured. the uprising basically failed. The uprising failed, as, a, as I say, as a, as a military venture, it, it, was, it failed. But as a, as a, as a political um, event, it was significant both because of its role in, in Slovak national history, mm -hmm. but also because of the, um, uh, the kind of credit that was granted to Slovaks and Slovakia and Czechoslovakia more widely um, as, a, as, a, as a resistor to, to um, the German Nazi regime. And, and so after the war, it was significant that Slovakia was, was seen as having resisted and as having been occupied by the Germans and not as having been a, a, a collaborator. Thank you very much, James, for, for your time and for talking to me about the Slovak National Uprising, because you obviously know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. But, uh... This talk about the Slovak National Uprising has been great. Very educational, full of insights. What else to ask for, right? Maybe more teachers like James and Slovak skills. I would not go against the idea. It's so obvious James loves history and even Slovakia's history despite being a Brit. And that's something to admire. Thank you, James. If you'd love to hear more spectacular Slovakia episodes, also with James, you'll find the podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. Each episode is available also on spectator.sk. And if you want to discover Alt Slovakia, go to shop.spectator.sk. You'll find the travel guides, which you may find of help on your trips around the country. Thanks so much to you, dear listeners, for listening this week. I hope you now know why August the 29th is a national holiday. And I will be back next week. See you soon.